Welcome to the men's global live stream. We're in part two of a series called Fight for the Fam. And of course, fam is short for family. And the reason we're calling it Fight for the Fam is because right now, I don't know if you've noticed, but there is an attack on the family in today's culture. Now, it just looks like culture, but there's an attack on the husband-wife relationship. There's an attack on the father's relationship to the kids. There's a messaging that says that women and children are victims of an oppressive family structure. And what we need to know is, is that family is not man's idea. Family is God's idea. The Bible uses family terms to describe our connection with and our relationship with and the interactions with God himself. God is our father. We're his children. Jesus is our brother. The church is the family of God. Jesus says that we're born into God's family, that we are, are birthed into a new family. I mean, all you guys out there with kids, I mean, don't you remember when your kids were birthed into your family and the excitement of the rest of the family, the mom and dad, or maybe it's kid two, three, four, or five, where they're coming into a family. You know, you're bringing somebody in, or maybe you have adopted kids, you know, where the Bible even says that, that we're adopted into God's family. So the family is God's chosen model for what he wants us to experience, and that's why we wanna fight for the family. Now, I want you to know that in today's culture that you could perceive the attack on family and the attack on the, the man-woman relationship, the attack on husbands and wives, and this, this myth that women and children are oppressed by families. You could misconstrue that as a political uh, a political move, but it's really not. It's demonic and it's evil. Why? Because family is a creation order. Just like life is a creation order, marriage is a creation order, family is a creation order. In other words, it's God's idea. Evil will attack whatever is a creation order. Evil attacks life, living people and unborn people. Evil attacks marriage the connection between a man and a woman. It's been that way since Genesis chapter three. Evil will attack family because God chooses families to be the first community of acceptance. And Satan hates God, Satan hates life, Satan hates healthy relationships. And so that's why we're calling this series Fight for the fam. And so in part two, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get God's mind on the family, and then we're gonna unpack his thinking a little bit. We're gonna, we're gonna move in faith, and we're gonna adopt God's thinking, because the truest thing about anything is what God says is true, right? And then we want to advance his thinking today with respect to the family in three really practical ways. So let's start uh, with the Bible, and let's get God's mind on the family. And we're gonna start in Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna look at verse five, which says this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. A second scripture we wanna look at is from Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, and it's Jesus talking about family. He says this, any kingdom divided by civil war is 
doomed. And then listen to the pictures. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. So there's two thoughts about God's mind on the family, and then there's Jesus' thought on the unity of the family, and I just wanna unpack that a little bit. What is God's mind exactly on the family? Number one, family is the, the best place for people. Family is the best place for people. Do you notice what God said in Ephesians? He says, God decided to adopt us into his own family. You see, when God created us, um, he created us to be a part of a family, but then you think, okay, spiritually, what does God want for us? What's the first thing he wants, the dynamic, what's the, the nature, the culture of interaction that he desires? Well, he wants what's going on in heaven to happen with us. And what kind of uh, culture and environment is that? It's a culture of family. Doesn't that make you feel good? You know, that, that God, the, God wants us to experience, you know, that connection with him as our father. He wants brothers and sisters. He wants that exchange of spirit, that intimacy, that, that safety, that refuge of family. So that's number one. Family is the best place for people. Remember that. All right. Number two, family is the goal of God. Going back to the verse in Ephesians, it says, this is what he wanted to do. So God's thinking, all right, what's the best for you and I? right? I need them to get into our family. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, they decide, hey, they need to be a part of our family. This is what we want. This is what we want to do, right? Number three, family is the source of satisfaction for God. I'm going to say that again. Family is the source of satisfaction for God. It's his source of satisfaction, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all of the heavenly family that's there. And that is his source of satisfaction for you and us. It says, you know, in, in the Ephesians verse, it says, and it gave him great pleasure. What's it? The family. Him adopting us into his own family. This is what he wanted to do. And it, the family, gave him great pleasure. All right. And then fourth, family is dependent on unity. Jesus was talking about, hey, you know, where, where, there's, where there's unity versus division, all right? So unity solidifies, division fragments, things fall apart. But when things stay whole, when things are not splintered, all right, they become strong. And Jesus uses family as one of those pictures. Now, what's the reason for unpacking God's mind exactly on the family? Well, if that is the way God thinks about family, then we should be thinking about our own families, the way God thinks about us as being a part of his family. We should be thinking as men of God that family is the absolute best place for people. It should be our goal. If family is God's goal for us in terms of where we're gonna grow, where we're gonna experience his creative intention, then we gotta think that about our own family, our own marriage, our own kids. God looks to family as his source of pleasure. What's your source of pleasure? Is it your marriage and is it your family? Is it the time with your wife and your kids? You know, I think a lot of you guys out there know exactly what that feels like. I mean, there's nothing like it. And then there's some of you out there and you're listening to me right now. And what I'm saying to you right now is a little bit painful because there's splintering 
and there's division, and instead of the family being a source of satisfaction, it's a source of shame for you or a source of distance. Well, can I just tell you something, brother? It's never too late. Great things happen when we adopt God's mind on an issue and we seek in faith to apply God's mind on the issue. And family is dependent on unity, right? Uh, we see that, you know, there's a unifying aspect. So we gotta fight for unity versus splintering, all right? And right now, there are forces outside of you, there's forces inside that are being exploited by the world, the flesh, and the devil to get your family divided. And again, it's just an old strategy with a new face. Now it just comes in the form of cultural movements and political movements that are contextualizing this attack on the family as something virtuous, all right? It's not virtuous, it's demonic, and it's evil. So here's the big idea for part two, and it's this, write this down. Family expresses God's core nature. Right now, why is that important? Right? Well, if you're gonna understand God, if you're gonna understand how he operates, how he thinks, how he relishes connection, how he likes relationships, how he enjoys intimacy, all right, versus distance, unity versus division, fun and laughter and togetherness, you gotta understand that family is an expression of God's core nature. Now, let's look at just a few simple things that, that God wants to be happening in our family. You see, because family is, is the way God operates, and now we're gonna look at, okay, well, how does God want my family to operate? I know he's for it, I know it's the best place for people, it's his goal, it's a place of satisfaction, but how do I work that out? in real time, all right? So let's look at three simple things for the rest of our time, and then we're gonna pray some application, and then we're gonna talk about, well, what if I don't have family, all right? So God wants my family to be, number one, a shelter for the storms. I think we can all understand that. Because of sin, and we talked about this last time, because of sin, all kinds of storms come into our lives. D difficulties come into our lives, trials come into our lives, delays come into our lives, losses, unexpected things, unpredictable things, things we never expected come into our lives. There are physical storms. Our bodies don't work the way we expected them to. Doesn't matter if you're a little baby in a NICU or a child with leukemia or you're an adult or you're a grandpa or a grandma, you know, there are physical storms that we go through as families. And then there's emotional storms. You know, right now, especially, there's spiking anxiety, spiking depression, spiking fear, right? There's relational storms, all right? People, people attacking us or conflict between people. There's relational storms. There's mental storms, right? There's confusion over purpose and a malaise over what the future is. There's mental storms, there's financial storms, all right? Some of you right now are in a huge financial storm. Well, where do you turn? Where are you supposed to turn? Well, you're supposed to turn to your families because families are shelters for the storms of life 
especially dads, for your kids. Look at what it says in Proverbs 14, 26. It says, for whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children, it will be a refuge. So whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, all right? Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you know what that means. Like he's a refuge for you. He's a fortress. He's your rock. He's your anchor. He's your light and your salvation. Knowing the Lord and being a part of his family strengthens you, but then it strengthens your kids. It says for their children, it will be a refuge. You see, home is a shelter. I mean, you ever played board games where the goal of the board game is to get home? You ever played, remember when you were little or you play an outside game where there's a home base and when you're home, you're safe, right? Home is a shelter from the storm. That is what your God wants your family to be. And incidentally, this is why in Malachi 2.16, God says, I hate divorce because divorce takes a place of shelter and a place of refuge, and it turns it into a place of storm and a place of conflict. That's why God hates divorce, especially for children. And so I don't, I don't know who this applies to. I don't know if there are some of you that are even in the process of divorce, but can I just encourage you to just kind of press the pause button and to seek God and to seek his mind and to go with his heart and do everything you possibly can for your relationship with him, but also for your relationship with your children. If your home is a place of storm and conflict versus a place of refuge and safety, it traumatizes children. Why? Because there's no place to turn. And guess who's waiting? for children whose homes have been turned from a place of refuge and safety into a place of storm and conflict, the devil. There's all kinds of other homes, all right, that are not the type of home that you want for your children, all right? So God wants your family to be a refuge from the storm. I found a really great picture of this in scripture. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, some of you set sail in big ships. You put to sea to do business in faraway ports. And then out at sea, you saw God in action, saw his breathtaking ways with the ocean. With a word, he called up the wind, an ocean storm, towering waves. You shot high in the sky, and then the bottom dropped out. And your hearts were stuck in your throats. You spun like a top. You reeled like a drunk. You didn't know which end was up. Listen to this. Then you called out to God in your desperate condition. He got you out. In the nick of time, he quieted down the wind to a whisper. He put a muzzle on all the big waves, and you were so glad when the storm died down and he led you safely back to harbor. So thank God for his marvelous love, for his miracle mercy to the children he loves. You see that picture where we're in a storm we turn to the Lord, the, word, the, the wind and the waves still know the sound of his voice. We call out in desperation 
And then he gets us out. He quiets things down to a whisper. He puts a muzzle on all the big waves. Can't you just feel the relief of that picture? And you know what? We're so grateful that the storm has died down and he leads us safely into the harbor of being a part of his family. Dads, fathers, grandpas, uncles, brothers. That is the picture of what God wants your family to be. So let me ask you a question. Is your family a safe harbor? Is your family a refuge? Or is it a, is it a source of conflict for your children? You see, life throws us around, but what God models for us as his children is meant for us as leaders of our families. So that's number one. What does God want your family to be? God wants your family to be a shelter for the storms. Number two, God wants your family to be a center for learning. You know, families are so awesome because you can learn how to eat, learn how to relate, learn how to poop, <laughs> at least when and where and the exact time, you know, inside a family uh, without the fear of embarrassment, right? Families are a place where if it's safe, you can learn a lot of things and you can fail and you can get up and you can fall and you can get up. You can make mistakes and you can get up and God wants that for your family. Uh, look at what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, 6, verse 4. It says this, as fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. You see, families don't need to be a place of exasperation or embarrassment, right? They need to be a place where it's just, here. hey, learn it here. Learn it here first. Make your mistakes here first, and it needs to be a place of unconditional acceptance and learning. But you know what exasperates? Ridicule, it exasperates children. Constant criticism or comparison exasperates children. Uh, putting them down, uh, not because necessarily because they've, they, they've blown it, but that's more about the person putting them down. That exasperates children. Un unrealistic rules, unrealistic standards of performance. Listen, I, I've coached youth sports for all of my kids. Man, you wanna see exasperation coming out in the heart of a child. Just show up on a youth field and watch what's coming out of the mouth of some of the dads. Hey, can I just encourage you dads? Your kids don't need to perform so that you can feel better about yourself. God made them with a creative intention. God put a spark of his life in them. They're created uh, in his image. And family needs to be a center for learning, not exasperation, a center uh, for development, not embarrassment. So let's talk about just a few things that, that, that kids should be learning. Everyone should be learning in your family, whether they're young or whether they're teenagers or even when they're adults. Number one, they should be learning values, all right? What are values to people? Well, think about what you value, all right? Values are just the things that matter most. And God models learning values in the family. In Deuteronomy 6, one of the best chapters for dads. Hey dads, make sure you read Deuteronomy 6 because there's a lot of instruction there for you. But listen to Deuteronomy 6. Uh, verses six through eight. God says this, write these commandments, these values that I've given you today on your hearts. 
get them inside of you, and then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking on the street, talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to the time when you fall into bed at night, all right? There's three things that you see in God wanting us to instill values, three secrets to instilling values in your kids, and here's the, the biggest one, own them yourself. You cannot give away to your children what you don't possess yourself. That's the most important thing. You gotta own a spiritual life. You gotta own some values and convictions and beliefs, listen, that you live out in the open and that you talk about in the open. So that's number one. You gotta own values yourself. What are your values? What are the things that matter most to you? Shouldn't be a big list, should be pretty small, right? Number two, I want you to see when the right time is to talk about values, all right? The right time to talk about values is all the time, everywhere. When you sit up, when you get up, when they're going to bed, when you're having breakfast, when you're making pancakes, when you're mowing the lawn, all right? Any time is the right time to talk about values. And so what's the language that should we should be talking about them? Now, this is a really interesting one because, you know, well, we can talk about them verbally, but you know what the best language of teaching is? Modeling, all right? Teaching through modeling yourself, all right? If the Bible is a value in your home, then your kids, when they wake up, should see your nose in this book and see you. If prayer is a value in your home, then they should see you modeling prayer. If going to church and being connected to God's new community of believers and God's family is of value to you, then they should see you valuing that by making sure everybody is up and loaded into the car and connecting. You see, unintentional uh, communication through modeling is the best teaching for kids. There's a lot of dads who are just like, hey, uh, do what I say, but don't do what I do. Hey, that's a myth. All right, that's just, uh, that's a cop out, all right? If anybody ever, if you hear anybody say that, or if your kids hear you say that, it sounds about as convincing as it seems, all right? But if you possess the values that you want your kids to adopt, if you're talking about them all the time and talking about them in unintentional ways where you're just modeling it, now you're cooking chili, all right? So the family, is a shelter for the storms. It's a center for learning to teach values. It's also a center for learning to teach character, all right? But I think we have to define what character is, all right? Character is the stuff you're made of on the inside, all right? Character is what, you li what conduct lives out of, all right? My conduct reflects my character. If my character is good, my conduct is good. If my character is bad, or what fills my insides, right? My moral compass, my spiritual compass. If that doesn't come from truth and from a relationship with God, then my character is gonna be formed that way and my conduct is gonna be expressed a certain way. Character is who we really are. Character is what we do and decide when no one's looking. Character is what happens in the dark, all right? And the Bible says this, about character and where it comes from. Listen to Proverbs chapter four, verses four and five. My father taught me, take my words to heart, follow my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, 
develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. All right, do you see the relationship between the father and the son? I mean, the dad's just saying, hey son, here, here, here it is. This is gonna save you a lot of pain. Here are the secrets of success. And he says, man, get wisdom, All right? Develop judgment, why? Because kids don't have those, right? Because they're kids, right? They have little, little EQ, little experience, little exposure, and the purpose of a father is to build character into his kids and to speak into them and say, hey, you know what, by experience, you know, if you wanna do this and get to here, but you don't wanna experience the same things that I have, or if you wanna get there faster, you wanna succeed, here's the secret. And then he says to them, get wisdom and get good judgment, all right? And where do you learn those things? You learn them in your home. All right, that's where they're supposed to be taught, all right? So God wants us to, our homes to be uh, a shelter from the storms, a center for learning where we teach values and character. And then third, uh, kids are learning faith, all right? Just let's boil it down. They learn how to know and love God. Question, are your kids learning how to know and love God today? Are your grandchildren learning how to know and love God, right? Are you encouraging in your teenagers and even your adult children how to know and love God? That's supposed to happen in families. And there's a linkage here that the Bible talks about, which is so important, right? It talks about that in Isaiah uh, 38. Listen to what God's word says about the linkage. It says, only the living can praise you as I do today. Each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. So what's God saying? That your family, it's not like this individual self-sufficient unit, right? There is a linkage and a chain to the next generation. Listen guys, and either your family will break that link or your family will reinforce that link. If you're, if you're like my family, I'm starting the link, all right? And my children are gonna reinforce the link, and I'm praying for that every day. See, it's generational, all right? I mean, God wants you to have a family legacy. And man, if you're just getting started in the Lord, and you're a husband, and you're a dad, uh, don't worry about it, guess what? and your, your, your family, guess what? God will reparent you just like he reparented me. God will show you how to love. God will show you how to do the one another's in family, love one another, serve one another, courage, encourage one another, speak truth to one another, support one another. God will show you how to do that. But you need to make sure that you're in relationship with God, right? And then he'll show you how to reinforce that generational link. It's just not about us, guys. So many times we think we're just units in our own selves, but guess what? Everything we do has a ripple effect. We have a blast zone of influence and it reaches into your children and to your children's children and into your children's children's children. It's a generational thing. When you read the Bible, you always go back to who was the, the source, right, of that family and then their sons and a legacy, and then their sons and daughters and then another legacy, and then their sons and daughters and another legacy, generation to generation. So when you know that ahead of time, 
product. You're just not sowing into your own family. You're sowing into the next generation of family, which is why we got to teach faith that the family is the learning center for values, character, and faith. We got to teach our kids how to know and love God, right? Look at what it says in Proverbs 1:7. I love this verse. It says, start with God, right? The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Now, let me just say right up front that I'm not responsible for, and neither are you responsible for, everything your kids do, all right? They're free moral agents, they make choices. However, we can give them rails to run on in terms of values and character and faith. These are rails that our kids can run on, and we're responsible to them to make our family centers of learning those values and learning character and learning faith and learning how to know and love God. And I love the language of this verse. And the first step in learning is bowing down to God. It's just teaching your kids that there's the vine and we're the branch. There's the potter and there's the clay. There's the sheep and then there's the shepherd right? Where God is in the A position, we're in the B position, all right? It's positional authority, that he's God and that we're not, that he's the creator and we're the creative. And we need to bow down to our creator and our maker. Guess what? Who happens to love us and to know what's best for us. So we need to teach values. We need to teach character. We need to teach faith, all right? Under the learning commission that God has given us, all right? Now, let's look at the last thing that God wants our family to be. It wa he wants it to be a producer of ministry, all right? He wants your family to be fruitful uh, for him, okay? Where you look in the Bible and you see these families, and man, they had a reputation. Let's look at one. Uh, it's a guy named Stephanus, all right? And we read about his family in 1 Corinthians 16. Look at what it says. Do you remember Stephanus? and his family. They were the first to become Christians in Greece. And they, listen, are spending their lives helping and serving Christians everywhere. I mean, man, way to go Stephanus and Mrs. Stephanus and the Stephanus children, all right? Forever immortalized in the Bible with what kind of a reputation, all right? Man, they're, they're helping and serving Christians everywhere. You know that uh, serving people with your family is the best unifier of your family. You know, I remember after Hurricane Katrina, I took my, my family and we lived under the freeway in New Orleans at the New Orleans Rescue Mission. And uh, we brought some other families with us. And man, my kids remember that. And it was one of the biggest unifying things that, that, that we have done. At Christmas time, you know, growing up, uh, we served single moms. We would uh, surprise them and do ding-dong ditch. And um, we'd, we'd buy a bunch of gifts. We'd cash in all our coins. We've saved coins all year. And then we, we, we gather them up and we roll them up in the little balls and you know, the, little, the, little, the little coin wraps. And then we go to the bank, we cash it in. We know the names of the kids and you know, just anything, dad, that you can get your hands on, whether it's a mission trip whether it's a natural disaster and you can go and take your kids, or whether it's just a single mom, maybe at Christmas, 
serving others and serving one another with your family is the greatest unifier of a family. But we gotta make a decision. In fact, that's what the Bible says. In Joshua 24, 15, listen to God's word and let it, let it in, let it into your heart. It says, choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the, Euphra the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Now, I know that uh, we don't live in the Fertile Crescent, and I know that we don't live near the Euphrates, and I know that the Amorites are not a threat, but there is a symbolic and metaphorical uh, region that we live in. It's just called culture outside of God. All right, so the Euphrates and the gods of the Amorites, just the gods of this world, right? Are we gonna serve the gods of this world, the political movements of this world, uh, the, 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 the objects of worship and the idols of this world? Are we gonna serve the Lord? You got two choices, serve God or serve idols. And idols just, ironically, it just looks like culture, all right? Uh, it just looks like that world, that atmosphere, those values that are either hostile to God or they exclude God, all right? That's the Euphrates and the Amorites of our time. They're not talking about God. They're not talking about serving one another. They're not talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. Incidentally, we don't need any movement or cultural voice to tell us how to treat people. The greatest relational advice ever given in the history of man is right there in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, or in the parable of the Good Samaritan, so be the neighbor, all right? So, God wants your family to serve him. He wants your family to be a producer of ministry, serving one another, right? Three simple things, right? God wants your family, all right, to be a shelter for the storm. God wants your family to be a center for learning, values, character, faith. And God wants your family fruitful for him, all right? Now, if you know people, or maybe you're watching this yourself, and you're like, well, I know people who don't have a family. I know people who are lonely. I know fatherless boys. I know fatherless girls. I know that there are places in my own community uh, where there are foster children and there's, there's kids with, without families. What about them? Well, what I wanna say is that because God feels, as we've learned today, so strongly about the family, it breaks his heart when people don't have one and it boils his blood when those who've been adopted into his own family don't reproduce what he's done for them in some expression. For some people, that's fostering. For others, that's adopting. For others, that's being a big brother. For others, that's being friendly and practicing hospitality and, and bringing the lonely into your home that might be connected to your kids and, and just providing that safe, safe harbor for them. So it breaks God's heart when people are lonely and it boils his blood that, that those who aren't lonely and have families don't do what he's done with them, bringing them into his family with people that he is bringing into our lives. Listen to some Bible passages. Psalm 68.5 says this, a, fatherless, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. This is God. I mean, there's not very many places where it says like, this is God. This is who he is. 
He goes after the people who don't have family, the people who've lost family, the people who have been made to feel isolated because they've lost family, either through death or divorce or whatever. His heart is for the lonely. God hates loneliness. And so what is our charge, men, if we're in a connected family? is to have the heart of God and, and, and start adopting some people. You know, my family, I came from a big family, family of seven. And you know, my mom, she was the mother of many. That was one of the things that my mom did so well. She had the gift of hospitality, you know, and if you walked through the door in our house, you'd hear, you know, three words. It's a question. Are you hungry? And man, then just stuff would start flying out of the refrigerator, the oven would get turned on, the stove would get turned on, smells would fill the house. If one person walked through the door, and so our, our house became a place of family and we would gather around the table and that was my mom's, you know, gift. Right? So God, that's God's heart. He doesn't want anybody to not have family. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 23. It says, don't stealthily move back the boundary lines or cheat orphans out of their property, for they have a powerful advocate who will go to bat for them. You know the lonely have a powerful advocate? Orphans, widows, um, people, single moms, anyone who's been made to feel lonely by abuse, or by circumstance, or by divestment, or by being cheated and left out and feels lost. They have a powerful advocate. You know, if God is a powerful advocate for the lonely, guess who needs to be a powerful advocate for the lonely? And if you have the blessing of having an intact family, of having resources, of having that exchange of spirit in your family, that's just not for you. It's for anyone who feels lonely. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners and orphans and widows. Wow. You know, there's a lot of political movements and a lot of political voices right now that are attacking family. But guess what? You know where justice comes? To people who are lonely in our society? It comes to them through families. And if you know God and you're a part of his family, his spiritual family, his church, right? Or if you have your own intact family, then we have this responsibility to agent justice. What does justice mean biblically? It means to give what is due. If connection is due, we give connection to stave off and, and defeat loneliness. If protection is due, then we step in to protect and we give that what is due to protect against abuse, right? If compassion is due, all right? We step in to give justice and give compassion when neglect is creating loneliness. And so the Bible says that curse is anyone who denies justice to foreigners and orphans or widows. And so guys, we've learned today, right from God's word, God's heart, that, that, that family, right, is God's idea, that family is a creation order, that family will be attacked by a godless culture and by the evil one sponsoring the godless and hostile, hostile culture, all right? But guess what? We have what we need. We have God himself, we have his word, we have relationships. And no matter where your family or what condition your family it is, God has spoken. And he said, you know what? Your family is the best place for people in spite of its dysfunction and its flaws and its shortcomings and its conflicts. Family is still the best place for people. Family is still the goal of God. Family is still the source of satisfaction for people because we're created in his image. 
and God is satisfied with family, but the family is dependent on unity, unity that must be protected. And who is protecting your family, if not you? So let's bow our heads and let's go to God and let's cross the line in our relationship with God and in his heart for the family. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we wanna put a stake in the ground. Standing behind us is our families. And Lord, right now, as leaders of our families, we wanna raise a shield over our families. God, we raise a shield of faith over our families that will protect against spiritual attack, against the flaming missiles of the enemy that wanna, that wanna land in our families and set fire to them and stoke division and conflict and trauma and covert abuse and separation, Lord. We raise our shields of faith and we rebuke all forces of evil coming against our families and the minds of our children and the relationship between husbands and wives in the name of Jesus and by his blood. And God, right now, we declare in the name of Jesus that we need you, that we need your power, that we need your courage, that we need your help. You're the vine and we're the branches, God. We need every bit of life that you can give us. We need every ounce of power that you can give us so that our families can be that shelter from the storm, just like you are with us. That, that, that our families would be that, that place of learning, just like you are our place of learning and you teach us values and you give us your very best character, uh, Lord. And uh, I pray for every dad right now, wherever he's at, whether his family is splintered or whether his family's doing great, God, that you would intervene and that you would encourage and that you would lift up and that you would cause them to rise up, Lord, and decide now and to put that stake in the ground to defend the family, that we would be teachers of faith in our family, that people in our families would, would know, know God and lo learn how to love God. Why? So that our families would be producers of ministry. God, that we would serve you gladly, that we would serve you willingly with our wives and with our children, Lord. Thank you um, that you're speaking right now to uh, men across the world about their families and about your will for their families. Lord, that we would be obedient and take steps of faith. Lord, that we would complete what we have learned and what we believe about the family, that we would complete what we've learned today with an action and complete our faith in the concept of family, according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's men said, amen. We'll see you next week.